Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Here we go, and uh, we begin our conversation in this episode of Believe in Horse Racing with one of my absolute favorites. She uh, used to call her my little sister, but now I call her little mama, but she's totally in charge of everything that's happening, whether it's on the backside with the track or especially at home. It is Christina Blacker, formerly known as Christina Oliveris with TVG. Christina, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Ken. Of course, always a pleasure to uh, speak with you in any capacity, in any situation. You, well, I don't even know where to start with you, but we're going to keep it as simple as possible. Okay. You do so much uh, on a daily basis. Um, obviously, married to trainer Dan Blacker, you have three wonderful daughters, and that's a handful right there. So you basically have four kids. Yes. Everybody knows that. Um, and then everything that you're doing when you get to work, how is it even remotely possible that you're keeping all this together? What is your system? It's a lot. I mean, I'm not going to lie. You know, I won't say that I think I have it all under control on any given day. I think that there are some days where, where I feel like I do a really good job at TVG. And there are some days where I feel like I've done a really great job for my kids and for my husband. And rarely do those days match up. You know, it's, it's, it's not easy, but I think part of that comes from, I just, I, I try to do a lot. I multitask. I don't really take no for an answer in a lot of things. Um, I just figure out a way to make it happen. If I want to do something, if I want to accomplish it, whether it's something with the kids, I want to be there for a particular, you know, event or recital, then I call our boss and I see if I can make that happen. Or if there's a lot going on at work and, the kids need to, you know, have some friends over and have a slumber party. And I'm going to pay two nannies to be there to make sure they have fun. Cause I'm going to be gone for two days straight for breeders cup. Then we do that too. I just kind of hit it week by week and try to make it all happen. But I will be honest, very often for myself, I feel like I come up short, but I'm just trying to do a lot. What is, what is a day for you? when you don't feel like you did a good job at work, what does that consist of when you feel like you didn't do a good job at work? Or or have you ever felt that way? Yeah, no, I do feel that way. But I think it comes from there are just days where there's so much going on at home that I don't feel like I can do as much preparation for our show as I want to. And if I have the opportunity, you know, I'll spend all morning looking at things. And I like to look at thoroughgraph sheets and I like to look at pedigrees and I like to look at the works themselves and I I like to bring a lot of different pieces of data in to formulate my opinion and then there's just a lot of news to keep up with in horse racing you know but there's days where I feel like I have put you know a lot into the actual form and what I'm going to be talking about but maybe I didn't catch up on all the news and then you'll say something or Scott will say something and I realize oh my god I missed that how did I miss that and that to me feels like I have fallen short in that moment because that's my job. My job is to be aware of everything that's going on and to do my homework to prepare for the day. But, you know, there's, there's times where there's just not a possibility of making that all happen. Somebody gets sick, somebody throws up, somebody has to come home from school, somebody, you know, as you multiply children, you multiply the opportunity for something to go wrong and someone to need my help. And 
then I have to cut a corner somewhere else. And so that's when I feel like I have fallen short at work. It's just, if I show up, I sit down in that chair and I don't think I've done as thorough of a job preparing as I want to. What is the actual job of TVG? Now you and I know this, but I, I think a lot of other people don't understand what our job is. And you and I went to school for this. A couple of other people in the industry went to school for this. But how do you reconcile what people think we're supposed to be doing at TVG and what our actual mission is at TVG? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's a lot of things. And I think it's easy to confuse it sometimes because, and myself included, we're very connected to the participants in the game. And so we have a lot of voices sometimes coming to us with what they want or their complaints or what they would like changed. But I think first and foremost, we have to be accurate and relay good information about what is going on in horse racing. And not only just the race that's right in front of you, but the races that are coming up later, the focal points of that week, the big horses that are running, I think we have to keep up to date on news and share that with people and try to you know be a place where we're breaking news as much as possible with folks that are watching uh, we have to keep the engine of horse racing going and that is the gambling dollar we have to you know keep people interested in this game entertained by the show so that they want to keep watching and they want to keep playing and hopefully winning money and that's you know part of it too we need to do our best to pick those winners, to steer them in the direction of maybe information that they didn't take the time to find themselves. But if I dug that information up, then I want to share that. And then that's for you at home to make your own decision, whether or not you're going to go with me, you know, with that horse, or you want to go someplace else. But I think we also have to pepper in a little bit of the storytelling that's going to try and create some new fans because the distribution is growing with TVG and especially right now, there aren't a lot of other sports to watch and we have been given an opportunity to have some new viewers. And so we need to have enough of the storytelling there that is going to help somebody latch onto this game, whether that's through a particular horse or a particular jockey, we need to help make new fans and then draw them in to wanting to watch every other day when they have opportunities to watch different sports or do something else, then hopefully we've created some new fans. So I think there's a lot to it. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, we just have to relay accurate information and make it about the product, not about ourselves. That's a good start. I like that. And I think it's what we're all trying to do on a regular basis. I think what might be the biggest problem in the perception of what TVG is supposed to be doing I think is the presence of all the other networks. And what I mean by that is there's not any network out there that just plays it straight down the middle and just gives you information. Uh, everyone has an agenda and everyone has a, a, a point of view and a perspective when they deliver the information. So I believe that a lot of people are expecting us to render judgment on trainers, um, owners, jockeys when we're talking to them or when we're talking about them. And I try and tell people, I'm like, we're not in charge of that. We, if someone is suspended, then we mention that. But if they're not, what are we supposed to say? Like, I mean, like, let's be realistic for a second. We all know and love Bob Baffert. He's a Hall of Famer. He's probably the best in the game. But there's, there's these other issues happening with him and his horses right now. And so everyone expects that every time we talk about him, we're supposed to talk about that. 
how do you deal with that every day? Because I know that I try to keep it as separate as possible. I'm like, when there's a decision or a judgment about him, then I will say that. But until then, what are we supposed to say? Right. Well, I, yeah, I don't think we're, we're not editorializing. You know, we're not a magazine show. We're not coming on to just share our opinions all the time. And yeah, sometimes, you know, we have opinions about horses or, or how they're going to participate or, or how they could be, you know, effective or not in a particular race. But when it comes to something along those lines, and, and that goes for any person or any racetrack or any decision that's being made, I think that's when we have to take the step back and cover it like news and as a journalist and give the facts and that's where it ends you know everyone can make their own judgments from there if they'd like to but i think as long as we are giving the accurate factual information then we have to move on to what's next really i've always felt like we are the promotional and marketing arm of horse racing uh, our job is to promote and to pump up as much as we possibly can and support we support that's what we're here for. We are not a news organization. I don't believe. Uh, do you believe that we are? I think people come to us for news, but I don't think that we are, you know, out there working the streets like a, a news reporter is, you know? I, yeah. I think people have us tuned in all, all the time. If you're really in this game, you would expect for that information to pop up on TVG, you know? But we don't have the staff or the numbers or the people that are going to be able to go out and kind of pound the pavement and hit the streets and go barn to barn every single day and, and gather that news in that regard. Right. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure, to be honest, you know, if this industry is <laughs> ready for that sort of everyday, for lack of a better term, scrutiny, because, you know, with every other sport in mainstream media, I mean, there are questions all day, every day about everything um, under the sun. And there are so many things that are just, I don't think that there is, you know, a lot of underhanded activity going on in horse racing. I don't believe that at all. But there are a lot of things that are, that you'd have to explain to the average person. They wouldn't understand how that works or, or why it makes sense. Um, but I, I wonder about you personally, because I, I don't know if anyone knows this. I tried to steal you from TVG at least twice. Um, um, so when we all first started together, I mean, I've always thought you were fantastic. We told the story and, um, and then once I left and, and was in Sacramento and I was surrounded by reporters that I didn't think were doing a good job. And I was like, you know what? I know someone who would do a great job at this. Um, but you know, I remember us having that conversation. Um, I think at, you know, maybe a, a place you guys had rented during Del Mar and I was trying to get you to pack your stuff. And and you were a little reluctant. And I wonder what you think of that now. Why were you reluctant to leave then? And how do you feel about that decision now? You should be honest too. Uh, yeah, I think there's a couple of different things. I mean, I think at the time, like it was partially my personal life and my professional life coming together, right? I'm trying to think of the exact timeline. So, I, I, I believe I, you only had the one child. Okay. I believe yeah. you. Margot's the oldest, right? Yeah, she's the oldest. I believe yep. she was the seven. Yeah, so I, I, had, I was gone. You know, I left, uh, what is this, 2020? <laughs> so I left yeah. in 2011. What day is it? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I know I came back the next couple of years for vacation at Del Mar. Um, and, and my son was, was small as well then. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it was a couple different things. I think that... Um, 
you know, obviously Dan being such a big part of this game, I think that if one of us was not in it, it makes for a really difficult personal life because there's so much that you can't do together and schedule wise, you know, that gets really hard. And I also, when I first got into horse racing, I didn't, um, I wasn't sure I was going to stay for my career. I always loved horses, but I wasn't really around the racetrack as much. It was just what my dad did. And I had a lot of friends from, you know, horse racing, but they were the kids that I saw on the beach on Monday and Tuesday during Del Mar. And so that's how we, you know, formed our friendship. It wasn't because we were out at pony club or something. Um, so as I fell in love with it more and more and then met Dan and everything was kind of more interwoven, mm -hmm. it started to feel really difficult to, well, I just, I just didn't really want to leave either. You know, yeah. it would have been a lot to unwind. And I also, I'm really happy in this game and really enjoy it. You know, I was home for like a couple of weeks at one point and I, I just watch it. I still watch all day long. Like, what am I doing? Turn it off and go do something else. I still have it on even on my days off because I do really love horse racing. And then on the other side of that with news and when I was in college and when I was going through all my internships and whatnot and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I started doing a lot of entertainment based internships, MTV news, and I worked mm -hmm. for Carson Daly and all of that. And as I got older, I started to just feel like it was all really fluffy and what were they <laughs> doing? And did I really want to talk about like what kind of latte Britney Spears ordered this week? Like this was just silly. But then on the other coin side of the coin was being in hard news sounded really daunting because I didn't want to come home from covering stories that were really depressing and bring that home with me. I didn't want to go out and talk to someone who had lost their child. I didn't mm -hmm. want to go to the courthouse and see someone who had committed a crime. I didn't, I didn't want those visuals and those conversations weighing on me because I know that it would have. And so there was a part of me that just from my mental psyche was sort of afraid to mm -hmm. get into hard news. Cause I just don't know if I have the character and the strength to compartmentalize that from my everyday life. Right. No, that totally makes sense. And I remember when I reached out to you and we had those conversations, I kind of felt a little bit like the devil because <laughs> um, <laughs> because I knew what I was trying to entice you into. Like mm -hmm. I knew and I think I tried to express to you. I'm like, look, the days are long and they are hard and yeah. sometimes they suck. Um, mm -hmm. But I felt like it's one of those things where and I feel like it definitely helped me. I'm 100 times stronger here on the other side of that journey. Um, and that's kind of what I was suggesting. I'm like, you know, if you go through this, you're going to be a hundred times stronger on the air and in your life. Um, but it is, yeah, it's, it's a, it, it, it's a, it takes a toll and mm -hmm. there's a price you have to pay for that. Um, and it was also selfish. I wanted somebody there who I, I could trust. Right. Who I felt would go out on, you know, and do the stuff every yeah. morning and just be super solid. And I, I'm like, yep, I can toss to her and I can trust her and I know she's going to do her job. She'll be okay. Yeah, yeah she's going to be okay. But it, it is a, it's a really crazy um, environment to work in. And um, I think you made the right decision. I think you're going to be just fine where you are. Um, <laughs> you know, the thing about, but horse racing is, is changing. And I'm wondering if we are set up for the next generation of people who want to cover this. You know, we were talking about this earlier about how, you know, it's not really an easy entryway into this game. 
Like, and I've been trying to think lately how we can establish uh, easier entry points, and not just that, but fundamentals and a foundation to train people to be on TV in in horse racing. Like, are we set up to do that yet? I don't know if we are. I, I, I think you know. I mentioned that that website, that careers in racing, mm-hmm. um, that Arvin had. Googled and I just looked at it myself because I was curious after talking to him and I found it to be really helpful and it was something that I talked to our little group for I am horse racing I said look this is something that maybe we need to start adding to our website you know if people want to advertise a job why can't we be the place where that is listed and why can't we share those details you know as we're growing our fan base and we're trying to reach out to people that are not you know, within the industry, we're trying to share the stories to a broader audience. And if we can be sharing some job opportunities, then maybe that's a way to get to, you know, younger people or people that wouldn't have considered horse racing uh, before. But I think it a lot of it too, just, and it's sort of the oldest complaint in the book is just not being as unified as an industry as most other sports are. So then it becomes more and more difficult to recruit and more and more difficult to share the information when it does need to be disseminated. You know, I think there's plenty of people that, to me, I I think, Ken, right now, there's a lot of people that want to be on television talking about horse racing. I think, you know, you go online and Mm -hmm. there's so many different online formats now and podcasts, you know, there's, there's opportunities for anybody that's sort of hungry enough to make their own show and to be able to share it. And if you're good, and if you're passionate, and if you're good on the air, and if you have a good opinion, I think your fan base will grow. I mean, for Candace Hare, who works with us, you know, Kevin saw her work on Twitter. That was how he found her. And she's so knowledgeable about so many different things. And she has one of the, she's one of the smartest people I think I've ever met, honestly. I don't know how she keeps track of as much information as she does, but I think she's a perfect example of if you're out there and if you know your stuff and if you kind of market yourself, um, you can become, you can take the next step, I guess. But I think, you know, you sort of need to have the the hours under your belt, right? And And it's a good thing that there's so much online content going on now because I think that sort of helps people polish their skills a little bit and then maybe we can find more folks that are interested and passionate about it because you know I think there's a lot of people that want to audition to be sportscasters but they have other passions and that's just a product of the fact that horse racing isn't as popular as it used to be most people that want to go work at ESPN they want to go talk about football they want to go talk about basketball they want to go talk about soccer there's just not as many people that are as passionate about horse racing as there are about other sports you know, I think about a lot of things that we're going through right now in racing. We're trying to push for, you know, diversity and equality and equity. And and and, and women, you know, are looking for much more representation, especially when it comes to uh, positions of influence and positions of power. But I kind of want to talk about women in, in television, in horse racing. Um, and there are a lot more now. But I feel like, and maybe it's just coming from the fan base and uh, social media, which is horrible. I don't know why I feel like women in horse racing are objectified more than in other industries. I don't know why I feel that way. Um, how do you feel like collectively 
women are received by like viewers and uh, you know betters and patrons of horse racing? I I I don't really think it's any different. I don't. I'm not saying that it's good because I I get my fair share of you know rude and disgusting stuff sent to me on Twitter uh, or Facebook or wherever else someone thinks they can you know get to me, but I think that that's pretty universal I, I I would imagine it's you know I mean look at the scandals that you know Aaron Andrews had to go through with the guy filming in her mm-hmm. hotel room I mean I think it happens across the board I think that people just don't talk about it as much um, and I think that you know the more you for me personally like I don't I don't usually every now and then I will respond or I will share something but i think that gives that person what they want they want your reaction they want to know that they got under your skin i don't even block people because i don't want to give them that satisfaction either i'm honestly just going to move on and keep living my life and go back to what i was doing and not look at that foul tweet again and that's it for me Uh, but and i think that i i think i get less of it because i don't ever justify it or satisfy the person that's trying to get under your skin no that's valid i do believe that it is um not at all in any way shape or form every woman's responsibility to do that um like you're there doesn't matter what you're doing doesn't matter what you're putting up there uh, you still should not have to deal with any of those comments Um, but i do believe that the way that you approach it is a bit more conducive to problem solving. Like I, I feel mm-hmm. like that helps to yeah. kind of to minimize any of that nonsense. Yeah. And so we'd also talked before about diversity and uh, and how we present that. Um, it's one thing for whatever people do behind the scenes. Like it's one thing for for Mattress Mag to have a longtime friendship with Jerry Burke, and I love the interview that Gabby got at did on TVG the other day talking about their their friendship. And how that uh, brought them to run happy. And I think that's beautiful and organic. But we don't see enough of that. Jerry Burke is black, Mattress Mac is white. We don't see enough of that. Like, how, how do we show more of that? And is it incumbent upon people like you? Because you're a reporter. Like, how do we yeah. show more of that? Well, I can tell you, you know, we had a, a, a meeting just for the I Am Horse Racing crew and, and talking about, you know, the stories that we shared and decided that you know we're we're not we're just going to do it we're going to go out and find people from different places that look different than anybody else and that we've you know shown in the last 10 videos and we're going to show that there are people from all walks of life from all different places and all different ethnicities working in this game and we're going to not make a big statement we're just going to do it and that's what we've tried to do over the last, you know, couple of weeks. And I've done some other interviews that we're kind of working on and editing and, and bringing together. And I also think that I have a little bit of a different perspective on it only because of the places that I've been with Dan, you know, and the people that he's met in this game throughout the country. And there, the diversity, you know, that is existent in racing in the UK or in from the time that he spent in South America or even the time that he was in New York and Florida and back here in California, you know, we've met a lot of different people, but I think you're right. It is, it's incumbent upon 
me and the reporters and anybody that's out there interviewing to find and share those stories because they are right there in front of us all. And it's not, you know, you don't, you don't, sometimes it's just easy, isn't it, right, to interview the same people that you know are going to say yes all the time and you know are going to give you a, a good interview. But you have to just take that next step and go to, you know, another person that's connected to that horse. And there are so many people that are connected to every single horse. It's just a matter of kind of doing a little bit more digging and finding the different perspectives to share them. Yeah, that's a, a definitely a good spot to begin uh, to kind of turn things and just open it up. You know, I don't really want to mm-hmm. change entirely what we do, but would like to open it up to reflect all that mm-hmm. is being done in the industry. Okay, here comes two of the most difficult questions that you're ever going to get. So good <laughs> oh, luck. No. Yep. Um, and I don't think that it's a a question of, of political beliefs or affiliations there. There's a group out there that is planning to boycott the Kentucky Derby. Mm. And that's obviously going to affect, you know, everything happening with the event and how we do our job. What do you think of that entire scenario? Well, are you talking more like PETA, that type of like. Oh, no, no, no. That group is no. There's a different group called. So there's a different group called Fighting for Justice, which is based Mm -hmm. in Louisville, Kentucky. And based upon the unfortunate killing of Breonna Taylor, who was an EMT in Louisville, Kentucky, about four and a half months ago, this took place, they have issued the call to to boycott and they're asking sponsors and and all these other things. Um, I'm just asking people, just in general, what they think of that particular. line of action it's really hard so they so i mean i i think that you know you have to stand up for what you believe in i think that you know and you have to to raise your voice when you can and especially amplify it when when there's you know spotlight shining um but i don't just because I mean we're in yeah we're in Louisville I, I guess that's the the direct sort of tie to it but I don't I don't understand where the tie is to the the horses you know and the race and and those folks like I I, I think that there's a way I would hope I, I don't I don't know the answer to yeah maybe utilize the fact that there is more media there and 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 get out and share the message and keep keep sharing that and um you know be be a part of trying to affect some change and trying to you know get more attention um on the story and and i personally feel like i still hear a lot myself you know in regards to brianna taylor i don't think it's forgotten she has been forgotten by any means um but i don't know the answer ken i don't know i don't know what 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 boycotting the race does like I, I think that if you can use the fact that there's there's more opportunity to to share the message i think then yeah then definitely take that choice take that chance but i don't know how the actual you know horses running on a left-handed circle at a mile and a quarter <laughs> like how, how how you conflate the two together i don't i don't get that i guess that's totally understandable acceptable and i appreciate you being honest as i understand it and and there's historical uh, relevance here because the same thing was done back in 1967 in louisville kentucky with Mm -hmm. dr martin luther king jr 
So what they were protesting then was housing discrimination. And so what they're trying to do here, uh, obviously we know how much money the Kentucky Derby brings to the Louisville, Kentucky area, and even the ripple effect kind of continues to spread on out. So I think yeah. what we're trying to say is, hey, you know, we want you to use some of the, uh, the, they're saying that the black community there has been ignored as far as all the economic opportunities is concerned, and they want to use this as a moment to stop so that they can see their point. And so I don't mm-hmm. think that they want to go all the way to protesting and boycotting the Derby. In 1967, they did the same thing. City leaders stepped in and said, we'll meet with you. And when city leaders stepped in and then Dr. King said, okay, we'll call off the boycott and let's sit down and have a meeting. So maybe that's what they are looking for. Yeah, no, I think then, then yes, then absolutely. And then, you know, call for people to come to the table again because it doesn't, you know, didn't seem like it was solved the first time here. I, 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 but I do think that a lot of people with within, within the industry think it's personal when they say, hey, we're going to boycott the race. And don't get me twisted. I don't want anyone to stop the Kentucky Derby right? at all. But I do understand what, what they're trying to accomplish. Um, yeah. And I hope it doesn't come to that. No, I hope so, too. But, and, but I hope, like you're saying, that it, it you know, is enough of a, an enough of a inspiration to talk and to try and make things better and to try and re-examine that case. Do you think that there's any way possible, last question, that racing would ever elect a commissioner? I don't. I just think there's too many, you know, privately owned entities to try and have everything under one umbrella. But I do think that the safety coalition is a huge step forward yeah. because that did bring basically the the strongest you know players to the table together and they do have one mission that they are working towards together and so there's going to be more issues that i think they will tackle together and that's a very good thing that's that's been a, a big step forward this year all right, that's a good place to start. So I've decided that we're going to run as um, you be the commissioner, I be the co-commissioner. Um, okay, uh, I'm in. Okay, I wasn't going to be all um, man-centric and say, I'll be the commissioner and you'll be my assistant. I'm like, nope, <laughs> you can be the commissioner. I will definitely be the co-commissioner. And together, we'll turn this whole thing around. We'll make it better. I'm in. Right? That's all we're trying to do. <laughs> I'm just trying to make it better, baby. That's all. That's all. Christina, you know how much I love you. You're my little sister, and uh, everything about you is fantastic. And uh, I really appreciate you carving out some time in your day for me in this show. And I can't wait to share this conversation with the world. I appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to the day when we can actually sit on the same desk and talk about horses together again. Or, or you can just sit down and, and share a meal next or something. Year you can, like, right? Sit oh my across goodness. the table from you and talk about horses. It'll be great. I haven't seen any of you guys since. My goodness, I don't remember the last time I saw you. I don't either. It might have been my wedding. I mean, who knows? No, no. Come on, come on. No. Um, when was. Uh, sorry, no, we were in the out. studio once. We were in the studio once, like in March. Oh, Christmas time or something. It was a Christmas? Was it oh, okay. Maybe. Oh, okay. Last time know. I was in the studio was March. But yeah, I think yeah. we may have been together. Good grief. That's right. 
Oh, well, it'll happen at some point. It'll happen again. All right. Thank you so much. You have a great Thank day. I'll you. talk to you soon. We'll see you at the track. Or we'll all see you in the two box. How about that? Okay. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> Bye. We continue with our conversation here on Believe in Horse Racing. This is so much fun. Uh, I finally get a chance to talk with the individual who did her best <laughs> to teach me most of the things that I know about horse racing in our stint starting up TVG. I'm going to like get straight to it and not waste your time with introductions. It is the Caton Bradar on the line right now. Caton, how are you? Oh, I am great. Thank you. I, and I appreciate the introduction, Ken. It, this is a lot of fun because up until recently, you and I didn't really get to do very much together. So now we've gotten to work a little bit more together. And now we actually even get to have extended conversation time, which is really nice. And we and I never I don't recall ever being able to, to talk with you, especially during our first stand at TVG. Um, my head was just spinning at all times. I had no idea what was happening from one minute to the next. So I don't remember ever getting a chance to talk to you then. I mean, on the road, I was always so confused and trying to learn. Like, yeah, I don't think I ever really had a chance to, um, to, to for lack of a better term, to be able to take you in, <laughs> to be able to understand everything that's happening and, and everything that you are about. So I really, really enjoy this, this time that we have together now. Well, the feeling is mutual, truly. I kind of want to talk about so many different things, but one of the toughest things about what we do and specifically you and what i mean by that is you mentioned it's really important to keep them engaged and connected and, and most importantly on winners picking winners and cashing tickets and you do a tremendous job at being extremely consistent and reliable in your assessment of the race and and, and guiding people towards that ultimate goal of picking winners but within this industry it is the one industry where a lot of things that are not necessarily known to the general public are extremely important when it comes to assessing whether you want to trust that particular trainer off the layoff or trust that particular horse in this situation. How are you, how do you mix that together? And what I'm talking about is you just know things that are happening behind the scenes. You know how certain operations run. Caton, you've seen everything. But yet you don't let on to those kind of things on the air. Well, but yet, you know, how do you keep all that together? You know, here's, it's, it's kind of, I think it's a product of age, which is a good thing in this respect. Um, because I think with age, there comes wisdom, hopefully, um, in trying to be honest and transparent, but at the same time, and continue to guide people toward the right horses, the right information, the things that they need to know to be able to make decisions. But to be fair in terms of doing that and also to not i mean look i believe our job is also to be cheerleaders of the sport i i do think that is a part of it um that doesn't mean we should be dishonest but i also think that we need to be careful in you know not i mean i'm just not the blunt person who's going to walk out there and they tell it like it is completely. I will be the first to say that. I will try to say it in as tactfully a manner as possible um, that doesn't necessarily undermine or 
do damage to the reputation of the sport, but at the same time gives people the opportunity to try to filter through. I, I mean, I, I, this is a most basic example and definitely not exactly what we're talking about, but let's talk about paddock picks and, and my looking at a horse for appearances. And people will say, I rarely hear you say many negatives. And I said, well, you should be able to figure out if you listen to me long enough, that if I don't say much about a horse, there's probably quite a few negatives. Um, but I, I choose to look to the horses that I'm gonna play because they look great. Now, if there is a uh, favorite or a horse that you liked a lot that comes in and then they look terrible, I'm gonna try to figure out a way to say that tactfully because I do not know the circumstances surrounding what's going on with that horse. And the implications can be extreme. I learned a long, long time ago that if people really do listen to you, if you're fortunate enough that they listen to you and pay attention to what you say, then you can have an impact or ramifications way beyond just giving a, a horse out to the general public that were kind of unintended consequences of what you're talking about. I don't want to do that. That is not what I'm in this for. I'm in there to talk to the fans, to try to appeal to the horsemen as far as um, if, if they take pride in knowing that their horse was a paddock pick, great. That's a wonderful thing. That's not what I set out to do, but if it happens, wonderful. But I just want to give information that's true, but I'm not going to call somebody out. I'm not going to um, put a horse, you know, just talk about how terrible a horse looks. But mm -hmm. The truth is that's not, I, then I'm not betting that horse already. And I'm not gonna suggest you bet that horse, but I always feel like you, you're better served accentuating the positives and the horses that we are gonna bet, that we are gonna talk about versus the opposite. And I kind of approach my presentation of the sport in all aspects in that way, rather than mm -hmm. talking about a bad ride by a specific jockey, Let's just talk about a bad trip for a horse, because the truth is, that is all that matters. Did it impact the outcome of the race? Did it, is it something that I need to remember the next time I see that horse? I don't need to get into calling out a jock for a bad decision or a decision that I didn't think was good. That's kind of not what I'm about. What I'm about is trying to figure out how that information can be useful to us. How can I say it to people in a tactful way that they can still use it, but at the same time, we don't get go off on a side path of debating who's a better jockey or just, you know, who, mm -hmm. who, who made a stupid mistake. So now I know that the next time that I give out one of my selections, and if you don't say anything about the horse, <laughs> then I'll know that that means that you think that I'm completely off base. Now I get it. Now I know. There's a possibility in that. <laughs> <laughs> But you know that, that that's the one of the things that, that I believe that is the most difficult for betters, and is the because the the human element is the jockey, and for some reason that's the one part of it we feel like there's no problem critiquing, critiquing that. Like I I don't feel good. I would never talk about a horse personally. You know what I mean? Like I would never say I don't like that horse. Right. That horse does not run hard. I'm like, I don't, that doesn't, I would never challenge a horse like that. But I would say something about a human being on a horse. And I don't know why we as, we as betters feel like that's okay. Well, and, and listen, if you're sitting at, at, at the racetrack with a group of your friends 
it's no different than sitting in the stands at, at a basketball game or any sporting event, right? And you are, I mean, that's what fans do. They like to, you know, everybody likes to be an armchair quarterback. And I get that. Um, I, everybody likes to kind of, and, and a lot of people like to, to boo or to, to diss somebody <laughs> for a bad play. I, I've never been that person, but that's, I mean, that doesn't mean that I think it's terrible that other people do. That's just not me. But, but I also um, think that that's fine for those people sitting together watching the sport, if that's how they enjoy it. I'm not sure that that's necessarily completely my, our role, my role or our role in general. Um, because what we're really trying to focus on is make it enjoyable, but try to get the information across that's the most important. And, and maybe I get a little too caught up in that sometimes, but I also, it's so close to home. I mean, when you have a husband who's a jockey agent, you you hear all the good and the bad all the time. And, mm -hmm. and so much of it is so subjective and so personal. And there are so many, I mean, and this is not calling you out because I 100% agreed with you, Ken. You made a comment on Twitter, um, I think over the weekend, that you said something about uh, why a horse who was in a five and a half furlong sprint was like 15 lengths last. And yeah. and I I completely agree with that sentiment. And it certainly went through my mind as I'm watching the race as well, thinking, you know, what are you doing? Why is this happening? <laughs> but, you know, there, I've now learned um, since Doug started working with Florent, how many different things can happen that have caused that situation. And it's not always as simple as, um, you know, the rider made that decision. A lot of, sometimes it's that they've gotten specific instructions and, and really been told to ride a certain way with the horse. And more often than not, for whatever reason, that horse came out of the gate and he just had no run in him at all. And they, you know, so the jock decided that the best thing was to sit there and be patient and hope that at some point the horse decided to respond later. But it's, there are just so many factors that go into why a jockey is riding the way they ride or how it looks to us observing it that I, and also my grandfather was a jockey, so I hesitate right. to call them out in that. But I don't think that it's wrong that, that fans and spectators do, because I think that's part of, this, of the element that it's a sport. And that's kind of what makes a sporting event for a lot of people, is, is that part of it. I wanted to ask you specifically about, well, a lot of things, but about women in horse racing and, and representation. And I feel like there, there is a lot um, there are a lot of women, I feel like, in the various roles presenting horse racing on television. Uh, do you agree? And, and if so, uh, is that good? If not, uh, why not? Well, it, a few years ago, I could argue that it's not a good thing to have a lot of women because then it's more competition for me, right? <laughs> because you know, <laughs> No, see, that's the thing that I don't understand. Why is there only so many spots for women? Like, you're I, better than everyone else, man or woman, that I've ever been next to in my life and spoken to about horses. You're the absolute best at communicating. And I don't think that there are only so many slots for women. Like, that's one no, of the things that I don't understand. You're... I, I agree with you on that one. I am a, I am a firm believer that um, while there are more women now than there have ever been, 
And, and especially at TVG, I would say that TVG is the exception to the rule in the industry. And I really believe that and, and feel right now, today, TVG is um, extremely supportive of women across the board, but especially on air, not worrying about what the preconceived idea of what a woman should be doing when she's presenting. In other words, should she be a host? Should she be a reporter? Should she be this or that? I mean, all of us do it all, right? And there are mm -hmm. more of us on TVG than in any other place I've ever worked. So I think that it's better than it was, but I still think we have a long way to go. And I, I think it is an archaic system and mindset that um, feels like there should just be one woman on a broadcast or two women on a broadcast, or that even considers like woman, it, I just don't look at any numbers of people. I look at the individual broadcasters and say, what can they bring to the table as far as their knowledge, um, their skill set, their their way of uh, talking and approaching and interacting with others. And that should be the only criteria for on-air people. But sadly, that is not the case um, for some, not everywhere. But um, I do think it's improving. And I just think that is a reflection i've always felt that horse racing was a reflection of the world especially the united states but the world we live in so if there's a problem or an issue or um out there in the world if if women don't have equal opportunity or equal access in specific areas you're going to see that in racing and the coverage of racing is no exception and I, I think that that is um, something that we have to continue to work on because I think that women are hired. Um, more women are hired based on their appearances as much as their knowledge. And I think that that has prevented more women from being involved that are really knowledgeable about racing. I don't think that's the case at TVG, but I do think that's the case generally speaking. You and I have uh, been friends, and the thing about you, I did not know <laughs> that on certain social media accounts, you're Katie May. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, here's this thing that's happening right now. Obviously, we're going through a, a big change in our world, and we're trying to bring some of that change. And I say we, as in I, I feel like you're always uh, an active agent for change. We're trying to bring some of these these cultural changes to this industry that we're in, and we're talking about diversity in this particular context. Um, I, I don't remember ever having any any weird feeling about you or question about you or about how you felt about people. Um, you've always been pretty open with me, but I, I distinctly now I'm starting to remember interaction with you on social media when I was separated from horse racing and you were always engaging and even if you didn't know what I meant or didn't understand my particular approach on something that I was posting, you always engaged me in a, in a very thoughtful and respectful manner. So then now here we are back here today. And so we're going back through all of the conversations that we've had with people of different color and different cultures in our life. And how, I don't understand how you are with me. You're fantastic with me and I've never spoken nothing but respect from you. Yet we work in an industry where it doesn't seem like it's presented, it's not presented like our industry is inclusive 
and about equality. How do you reconcile your position in an industry viewed as such? I recognized from the very beginning that this was an industry that had some major issues to try to deal with. And I just look at it as I try to do my part by how I react, how I speak, how I treat people. Um, and I have my opinions and I will certainly share them whenever it's appropriate or when it's, you know, I don't go out of my way to call someone out, but I also in my, make a mental checklist, right? <laughs> so, okay, mm -hmm. now you know where you stand. Okay, now I know where you stand. And mm -hmm. I, I think um, I, I look at racing again, like I look at, I mean, everything else that I do, which is that there are people that you decide you don't really want to associate with because you don't agree with them and they're wrong. Um, and you try to do your part to change by who you do associate with and who you um, respect and who you listen to. When called on, like if, if we get into a conversation about race, then I share my opinion and I will tell somebody that I think they're wrong, but I also, I'm not a person that gets confrontational, although I'm certain that there is a time for that. That's just not been me. Um, but if something is wrong, I will certainly have a conversation about that too. And, you know, in the sport, I said before, change is very, very slow. And I don't like that. That's an aspect of the sport that I, I don't like at all. I don't like the fact that the sport will oftentimes react to something, but then kind of push it under the rug. And so like maybe there's an initial response that seems great, but the truth is you go a, a year down the road and nothing has changed. Um, those are things that I don't like and I hope continue to be changed, but I really believe from my perspective on it all I can do is continue to, um, you know, offer my opinions on it and and work the way I operate and be fair to everyone, but at the same time also be truthful to everyone. So now we get to this point where we're only like 24, 25 days from the Kentucky Derby, which is the weirdest thing ever. And you know me, I'm always looking for a prize. And you and I were talking um, through the uh, the line uh, during our broadcast the other day about I was telling him how I'm kind of still back on enforceable now yep for the Kentucky Derby uh, and I'm feeling a little bit better about him um who do you like as you have three weeks to get ready for the Derby are you are you wishy-washy or are you firm oh I'm pretty firm but I'm also I mean I will say this I and it kind of confirmed what I already felt, which was, I think tis the law is the real deal. I mean, I think he's a, I think he's a man against boys. You know, I, I really think he is, you're going to look back in years from now and say, wow, what an amazing, special, rare horse he was. And so there hasn't been anything that would dissuade me from that. But I will say that I was very impressed with Art Collector. Um, he has not proven competition wise, in my opinion that he's equal to tis the law but 
I haven't seen anything I don't like about you. And I just don't, I mean, I do like your horse at, for what it's worth as like an, an exotics play or a horse that mm -hmm. might, especially with the mile and a quarter, you know, might be better than he's been up till now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I like him a lot, but I, but I just, I haven't moved off of just the law and I, you know, I'm not adverse to changing my mind. And I especially used to typically let the last couple weeks affect me big time as to how they were training and how they were doing. But I mean, unless tis the law suddenly wasn't doing very well um, physically, you know, and I don't know that we'll have that opportunity to see them this time the way we typically do, um, where we can follow them every day leading up to the race. So I doubt that I'm going to change my mind. Fine then. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> No, 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 I didn't want you to. I'm just messing with you. I didn't want you to change your mind hey, at hey, all. Hey, I'd, I'd love that Florent Giroux ends up on, on one of these horses and, and wins the whole thing. So just I'm hoping to be very wrong. <laughs> Kate, it's always a pleasure to be around you. From the first moment that I sat down with you, you've always just been really encouraging. And it's even more so today as uh, we've now known each other for uh, 21 years. Just a really, really great, great Great opportunity to know you, and I'm so glad that I, I have had the chance to come back and, and get to know you even better. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, and I, I hope we have more opportunities to have these types of conversations, seriously, because I I think that when we look at those early days, that's what um, is most unfortunate is that beyond all the problems that were going on, as you said, your head was spinning, my head was spinning a bit too, and I think that we missed opportunities. A lot of people did to, to connect, and it's the best part is getting to do that now. So um, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, friend. I'll talk to you again soon. Take care. And that'll do it for this week's edition of Believe in Horse Racing with me, Ken Rudolph. I want to thank my close friends and my really special guests, TVG analysts, Kate Bradar and Christina Blacker. Had a great time talking with them and sharing their perspective on everything that's happening. Be sure to stay with us here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one network for professionals here in Los Angeles as we bring you our next episode. We're going to focus in on a group called Fighting for Justice in Louisville, Kentucky. They are planning a massive boycott and a protest of the Kentucky Derby. I will speak with them to find out exactly how they plan on doing this and what they hope to accomplish. All that and more will be coming up next week as we continue with our conversation here on Believe in Horse Racing. Until next time, I'm Ken Rudolph. We'll see you. Let's get this money together. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.